Welcome to The Daily Briefing, your daily dive into the world of education. Every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, we'll bring you curated stories from education in the UK and around the globe. Join me, Lewis McKinnon, as we explore the latest trends, insights and inspiring tales in the field of learning. With all that being said, let's move on to our first story. Our first story comes from The Guardian and covers a recent example of those growing pains we see all too often when old meets new, with the University of Oxford attempting a modernised approach to its admissions process, resulting in a C-plus at best. Oxford University has decided not to utilise the results of its problematic online admissions tests for next year's English courses, due to widespread issues reported by students and schools across the UK. These online tests, being employed for the first time, encountered numerous problems, including displaying incorrect questions, frequent crashes, and failure to record answers. The situation raised concerns among sixth formers who feared it could jeopardise their chances of admission as undergraduates. This year, Oxford opted to use an online platform for most of its admission tests for prospective undergraduates, developed by Tartar Consulting Services, TCS. School leaders noted that Oxford had provided inadequate training for the new system, and the telephone helpline for exam centres was overwhelmed, resulting in long waiting times. The English Literature Admissions Test, ELAT, appeared to be the most severely affected, with some schools resorting to using printed test papers. In response to the extent of the problems, Oxford stated that ELAT scores for this year would not be used in the formal shortlisting process, assuring that no candidate would be deselected based on their ELAT score. The Sixth Form Colleges Association expressed concerns that the technical issues could unfairly impact some candidates. Bill Watkin, the Chief Executive of the Sixth Forms Colleges Association said, Oxford acknowledged the difficulties and stated that they would use a range of information, including individual circumstances, to assess candidates' potential and ensure that no one is disadvantaged. They also pledged to discuss the issues with the test provider to prevent future problems. The problems extended to the mathematical admissions test, which was supposed to be a hybrid of online and written answers causing significant disruptions. Oxford's mathematics department expressed disappointment and emphasised its commitment to ensuring candidates' applications are not disadvantaged by such adverse circumstances. Watkin went on to say that, at a time when the possibility of increasing the use of online testing is being explored and promoted, This week's experience has been a salutary reminder that we are not nearly there yet. Despite these challenges, the AQA exam board announced plans to introduce online assessments for GCSE subjects from 2026, highlighting the need for more robust online testing infrastructure. Our second story comes from across the pond, courtesy of a report by Inside Higher Ed. Now, we're familiar with Gen Z, but what about Gen P? Are they ready to enter the big leagues of college? The jury is currently out for the pandemic generation in the United States. Now that the next academic year is underway, the pandemic generation, or Gen P, poses a unique challenge for college admissions officers in the United States to reflect on as they assess the readiness of applicants who began high school during the pandemic. 
Traditional indicators like standardized test scores and grade point averages GPA, are no longer as reliable as they once were. The class of 2023 has recorded the lowest American college testing ACT scores in over 30 years, with an average score of 19.5 out of 36, marking the sixth consecutive year of decline. The most significant drop occurred during the pandemic, as it dipped below 20 for the first time since 1991. This data highlights the challenges posed by the learning loss and its long-term impact. Despite the decline in test scores, high school GPAs have been on the rise, increasing from 3.17 in 2010 to 3.39 in 2021, according to a 2022 study from the ACT. The most substantial improvement occurred between 2018 and 2021, which has made admissions offices more cautious about relying on GPA as a measure of academic preparedness. The pandemic has also led to a reduction in standardized test submissions, as many institutions adopted test optional policies during the crisis. As a result, assessing college readiness has become more complex. John Latting, Emory University's Dean of Admission in Atlanta, US, acknowledges the challenge. We're not as trusting, frankly, of GPA these days, he says. To address these issues, some colleges are re-evaluating their assessment methods and incorporating additional measures, such as evaluating students' creative outputs and educational opportunities. They're also weighing external assessments more heavily than GPA, with a focus on advanced placement AP scores. Some institutions are exploring ways to ensure that they are not solely relying on GPA. However, with more applicants submitting applications, there is also the challenge of effectively managing the application process. The perfect storm of issues arising from the pandemic has made it increasingly difficult to identify college-ready students. Mark Schneider, director of the Institute of Education Sciences, describes the situation as a mess. This complexity impacts not only the selective colleges, but also non-selective institutions, potentially expanding the equity gap in terms of student success. Natasha Jankowski, former executive director of the National Institute for Learning Outcomes Assessment, suggested a shift towards a more holistic assessment method, including students submitting self-tailored portfolios of classwork and extracurricular projects. These innovative approaches are necessary to address the multifaceted challenges presented by the pandemic's impact on the current generation of applicants. As admissions officers navigate this complex terrain, it's clear that they need to develop new strategies to evaluate Gen P applicants effectively. FE Week provide the basis for our final story today which ironically brings us to the beginning of many student journeys, foundation courses. Can we have too much of a good thing? Or is high growth simply a sign of supply meeting demand? Over the past decade, the number of students enrolling in foundation year courses at universities in the UK has surged by a staggering 700% according to recent statistics. These foundation year courses, while designed to provide a pathway to higher education, have faced criticism from ministers who deem them of poor quality. The government has taken steps to address this issue following the recommendations of the Orga Review of Post-18 Education and Funding, published in 2019. 
In a bid to regulate these programs, the government has announced a reduction in the tuition fee cap for foundation years from £9,250 to £5,760, starting from the 2025-2026 academic year, bringing them more in line with access to higher education courses. The data reveals that in the 2021-22 academic year, a record 69,325 students enrolled in foundation year courses, marking a substantial increase from the 8,470 students in 2011 and 12. In the span of a decade, the number of available foundation year courses rose from 678 at 52 institutions to 3,717 across 105 institutions. Most of this growth occurred in London, where the number of providers nearly doubled, and in the southwest, where the number of providers increased from 4 to 10. Notably, business and management courses were the most popular among foundation year students, 35,580, followed by social sciences with 6,915 students. Foundation year programmes were more likely to attract older students and individuals from ethnic minority backgrounds. However, these courses had lower completion rates, with approximately 50% of foundation year students finishing their programmes, compared to around 80% for first year undergraduates and 66% for access to HE courses. The statistics also showed the graduates who undertook foundation years generally earned less than those who did not, except in specific fields such as materials and technology subjects, medicine and dentistry, and veterinary sciences. Additionally, graduates from foundation year programmes were less likely to be in high-skilled employment 15 months after graduating. That's all from me today. Thanks for listening. And remember to subscribe to The Daily Briefing wherever you get your podcast fix to receive a new set of stories every Monday, Wednesday and Friday from the world of education. Links to all stories covered in today's briefing can be found in the episode description, along with acknowledgements for the original authors and sources. Daily Briefing is a higher ed media production.